And uh, we'll be in uh, Galatians chapter 5 tonight, outline on the back of the prayer sheet if you want to follow along with that here this evening. And um, continuing forward in, um, in the book of Galatians, uh, we'll be in the middle of chapter 5 tonight, spend uh, probably, if I'm guessing right now, probably three more weeks after tonight, um, one more week in chapter 5 and probably probably two weeks um, in chapter 6, um, but uh, two, two to three weeks certainly um, in the book of Galatians uh, before we finish it out. We've been in um, uh, <clears throat> Galatians 5 here and uh, last week and then before that uh, toward the end of chapter 4 using that, uh, that, that illustration uh, by way of uh, an allegory of, of Ishmael and Isaac um, and Isaac representing um, the, the, the freeborn son, if you would, um, the son of the free woman and the one who had the rights um, afforded to him, um, the birthright afforded to him. And, he, uh, and Paul uses the illustration there uh, to equate um, those who are saved by grace as those who are born of, of the free woman and they're given that liberty um, uh, through their faith, whereas those who are trusting in um, religion, those who are trusting in good deeds, those who are trusting in anything else, um, trusting in themselves to any, any extent, are those who are uh, under bondage. And then he goes into chapter 5 and, and, and turns back to address those who had been given this liberty, given this freedom, had trusted in Christ as their Savior, but then had turned back um, through being misled, um, certainly to a degree, the the false teachers are not blameless in this, uh, but they were, they were deceived. They were misled, and they turned back and put themselves willingly back under um, a form of that, that bondage, that bondage to the law. There were others that went back to the, the bondage of the flesh and turned back to um, old, old ways and old habits and paganism, and they rejected the faith, and they went back to an, a worldly and a fleshly and a carnal way of living. There were others who went to a a religious way of living, but but were um, trusting in their their um, their religiousness um, uh, to to afford them favor with the Lord, and um, and and here early in, in chapter five, he's been um, just exposing that for the error that it is. Um, Christian liberty is is a freedom, a spiritual freedom from the condemnation of sin. First and foremost, it's um, it's, a, it's freedom from the, 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 uh, the penalty of sin, um, the accountability for our sin uh, that, that we would face. The Lord took that, um, that penalty upon himself, his, his vicarious death on the cross, his substitutionary death on the cross, um, took, that, uh, took that condemnation for us and, um, and delivered us from that. Um, there is Romans 8, there's no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus, right? We've been delivered from that, and we've been given um, a freedom from the, the, the guilt and, and the shame and the consequences of, of our sins. Um, but it's also, uh, liberty is, um, a, a, a Christian liberty is, is, is a spiritual, a form of spiritual freedom from the, the constraints of the law, from the, the regimentation of, of the law, the regimentation um, of the of the, uh, of the of of the religion and the religious practices. Now, does that mean? And and unfortunately, where where some have taken that to mean is that there is no need for um, Christian living or, or good deeds or something like that. And of course, uh, as we'll talk about this more and more. That's not where the 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 law of grace directs us to. That's not where freedom in Christ liberty in Christ directs us toward is just now I can do whatever I want because there's no condemnation. And the truth of the matter is, is that there's, once you're saved, there's nothing that you could do to go to hell. You know, old timey preachers who would say, you know, I'm, I'm so saved, I could swing out over hell on a rotten corn silk, singing nothing but the blood of Jesus, right? And I guess that's true, but at the same time, um, there are other, 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 uh, the Bible tells us that we're, we're saved for a purpose, uh, we're not just we're not exclusively saved so that we wouldn't go to hell. God doesn't want you to go to hell, but He also um, saved you to give you a new life and to initiate a 
um, a reconciled relationship between you and God, a, a life in which um, uh, you are bringing glory to God in your life and not just through your, your miraculous salvation, but also through the work that he does um, in you and the work that he does through you in an ongoing basis. Um, and this is, this is kind of the nuance of it, is that our good works have nothing to do with our salvation, but good works accompany salvation. It should. And what we talked about last week, there are things that should be true about Christians, um, and there's a danger to say that they must be true about, about Christians, right? And that's where the legalism can come into play, where you say, well, um, the things that should be true about a Christian it must be true about a Christian, and if you don't have the things that, the, those things as evidence of your Christianity, then you're not really saved. That's a, that's that's legalism, and that's that's a dangerous equation to to draw. It's a dangerous conclusion to draw, even if it's drawn, um, uh, not necessarily intentionally, not necessarily in, um, uh, deceitfully. It's still a dangerous equation, a dangerous conclusion to draw, is to say that the things that that should must. But there's also a danger on the other side to say that there's nothing that, 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 that accompanies salvation. Salvation is just deliverance from the consequences of sin and now do as you will. Um, that, that's the, uh, that, that, that is the, the first commandment of the satanic Bible, uh, but of, of humanism, right? Do as thou wilt. And that's certainly not what God saved us for, is just to do whatever you want. And you can't, you, you, you can't go to hell now, so live it up. And that's absolutely not what the Bible teaches. Now, again, you won't go to hell, but um, there are other things that, that we're to work for. We are to have a relationship with God that brings glory to him. We are um, to, to be his servant. We are to have an impact on others. And, and we have an influence and a witness and a testimony before others. And we are to find God's purpose and calling in life. And that is not going to happen if you're just doing whatever you want. And this is the, 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 the nuance of this kind of truth that Paul is trying to, to teach this church and by extension trying to, to help us to understand also and your good works, um, again, had nothing to do with freeing you from, from the bondage of the flesh or the bondage of religion or whatever it was that you were trusting and had nothing to do with that. But once we are saved, we should live and walk in good works. Uh, good works um, don't afford me any liberty, um, nor do good works do anything to, to maintain that liberty that I have in, in Jesus Christ. Uh, my, my liberty in Christ is not, um, is not based on what I can do any more than my salvation was. But grace calls us to a rather high standard. Um, we didn't get to spend a lot of time on that, uh, on that verse, maybe, but I think what we'll look at here tonight, we'll, we'll speak more into it. In verse 4, when, it, when he says you're fallen from grace, um, they were willingly um, kind of <clears throat> rejecting the high calling of, of what grace was to choose the regimentation, really, of what religion told them to do. Rather than walking in grace and walking in truth and walking in the Spirit, they were saying, just, just, give, me, just give me a, co a, a codified law that I have to follow and, and I'll, I'll do those things, but I don't want to have to wake up every morning and seek the leadership of the Lord Jesus Christ in my life. And that was, that was really the difference between um, what, what genuine Christianity is and what religion was. Even, even a, like a religious form of Christianity was, I, I just, well, just tell me how much I'm supposed to read my Bible this morning. Well, read, read, read as much as it takes for the Lord to speak to your heart and give you a truth that you need today. Well, how much is that? I don't know. Tell me how much I'm supposed to pray, and tell me how many times I'm supposed to pray for the Jews, evening and morning and noon, while I pray and cry aloud, and, and he will hear my voice. Hey, every evening before you go to bed, pray. Every morning when you wake up, pray. Every day at lunchtime, pray. Well, how much should I pray as a Christian? Pray without ceasing? Right? Um, the Sabbath. Only, you know, you go, go, to the, go to the tabernacle, go to the temple, go to the synagogue on the Sabbath day and let that be a day of, 
of rest and let that be a day of, of remembrance and let that be a day of, of, of worship um, for you as, as, a, as a Jewish person. Well, as a Christian, when am I supposed to go to church? Uh, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together as a manner of some is and so much more as you see the day approaching, right? Like just, just get together with God's people and, and, and worship the Lord together and fellowship in the spirit and like precious faith in Jesus Christ. And for some people, they, they, again, we talked about that several, several lessons ago. Uh, there was an, like an insecurity in that ill-defined nature of genuine Christianity. You're a believer, walk in the spirit, walk in truth, um, walk in, in, in the grace of God. And so that, that's a little bit, that's a little bit scary, right? That's a little bit, um, that, that, that might ask a little bit more of me. You know, when Jesus gave the, uh, the Sermon on the Mount, as it's, as it's given in, in Matthew uh, 5, 6, and 7, chapters 5, 6, and 7, you, know, it, it, you start to see that um, being a disciple of Jesus Christ is actually going to be a, a higher expectation than, than the law, right? Because he, in, in, in the Sermon on the Mount, he starts to talk about things where it wasn't just a matter of don't kill someone, but he turns to the inside and he says, don't even have hatred in your heart. And if you never have hatred in your heart, then you're never going to ever get close to murder, right? But he's like, I'm going to go all the way to the root cause, it doesn't just say don't, don't actually commit an act of adultery and break your marriage vows um, against your spouse. It says don't even let lust abide in your heart or you're essentially um, you're on that path to, to, to breaking those vows, right? If, if, we, if we see the, the, the thoughts of our heart as just as wicked and just as sinful as the actual act would be, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it there and we won't wait until we're in, in, in a position where we can actually fulfill the worst and basest instincts of our flesh. And he said, hey, if, uh, if, someone, if someone sues you with the law, takes away your coat, give them your cloak also, right? Give them more than they actually demanded from you. If someone hits you on one cheek, don't hit them back, give them the other one. And I'm like, man, I don't like, I like I'd, I'd rather the, the Old Testament law, right? Eye for eye, tooth for tooth. You hit me once, I hit you once, right? I don't hit you twice. If you hit me once, I get to hit you once, right? Uh, uh, if, you, if you sue me, I get to countersue you. <laughs> um, and Jesus said, no, uh, the, the law of grace and, and being led by the Spirit, being led in truth and, and what it means to be a disciple of, of mine is you have a higher calling than what the law says. There's no wonder that some, some of the, the, the converts in the churches of Galatia were like, this is, this is harder. And these guys over here, I mean, they're saying that like, hey, we can just have like a nice clean set of Ten Commandments we have to follow. And then everything else that isn't addressed in those Ten Commandments is kind of fair game. And I don't have to like, you know, pray about it. <laughs> have to like uh, ask the Lord, you know, for direction in these things. And so um, when he says they were fallen from grace is they were choosing the lower road. They were choosing a, a, an, an easier path, if you would. They were choosing uh, the easy way out. And, and, um, and then in that process, bringing themselves into a, a, a form of, of re-enslavement and a form of bondage there and so grace calls us to a higher plane of living than the rigid and regimented deeds of the law and it calls us rather to follow the leadership of the holy spirit in every day and in every moment um, and to revert back to um, just religion or revert back to something that was was fleshly it's just, just to choose just choose a natural path and God didn't call us to choose a natural path. He called us to choose a spiritual path, um, one where not everything is, is, is clearly defined uh, and easily understandable and where there's an absolute um, uh, definitive answer on is this right or wrong and, and, and how and when and where, but one in which we are going to be 
challenged to actually have a daily relationship with our God. One that's actually going to challenge us to, to pray for, for, for God's wisdom. You know, wisdom, I say this a lot, but I mean, wisdom is not, wisdom is not, what, um, is not necessary when, when everything is spelled out in black and white. When everything is, when everything is, is black and white and every answer um, you need is just already, already written down for you, you don't need wisdom. You just need obedience at that point, right? Um, for our, for our, our, you know, for our kids growing up in our homes, like we have black and white rules. It's like you do this, you get rewarded. You do this, you get punished. Right? There's black and white. And wisdom isn't that. If if God just said everything and just spelled it all out, regimented everything, and said, you know, if you don't show up for church at eleven o'clock on Sunday morning, you're in trouble. Then you know what when you're supposed to be there, and and whether or not you obeyed or not. But when the Lord says. Uh, don't forsake the assembling of yourselves together. Well, that's different, right? Like that might include Sunday at 11. That might include Sunday evenings when you can. Include more than that, right? That, that, would, that would certainly speak more to the intentions of our hearts and, and the condition of our heart than it would just where we have our body at what time and what place. And that's, that's really the challenge here of understanding the, the essence of, of what Christian liberty is. And so kind of went through all that and, and started to get into that last week. And we want to start there in verse 7. And I'm going to uh, read here a few verses and we will actually look at something else um, in a different, different place in Scripture here in a moment. But let's look at uh, Galatians 5. In verse 7, uh, he says to them, You did run well who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth. This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. A little leaven leaveneth the whole lump, and I have confidence in you through the Lord that ye will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he shall be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would that they were even cut off, which trouble you. Um, you've probably experienced this to, to some degree i think this is something that we we've all struggled with anybody who's been been saved and and has tried to in in some some area of the christian life either either in in, in i guess what i would call personal growth or 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 personal service in in ministry to to others uh, we've probably all experienced this to some degree but there's really nothing more pointless and frustrating than trying to do spiritual work in by fleshly means and to accomplish something of, of spiritual value and spiritual significance but doing it through the flesh and i know we, we we've hit on that a lot here lately um but it's really it, it it's it's discouraging um it, it feels it feels fruitless it feels like um, uh, it, it's not that it takes no effort it's not that it takes no energy it's not that it takes uh, no time um, or effort on your part uh, but those kinds of those kinds of efforts um, really don't result in the kind of, of um, fruit that the Lord actually wants to produce in our lives and, and through us. I mean, if you ever tried, um, you ever tried to get victory over a, a bad habit, maybe even something that you would consider a, a sinful habit, something that maybe you're besetting sin, and you know what it is. We all know what it is, right? Um, I don't know what yours is, and. and and you don't know what mine is, but you know what yours is, and I know what mine is. You ever tried to get victory over something in your life like that, but just try to do it through, like, uh, through, through your, own, your own willpower? Or through reading a, a self-help help book that talked about the power of positive thinking, or, you know, something like that, and, and you're just like, I, you know, I know we need to stop doing this, and I'm just going to stop doing it. But you try to, try to figure it all out in the wisdom of your own mind and in the power of your own flesh, it, it, it doesn't work. Like it doesn't last, right? You, you might, you might make a little bit of ground and you might, um, you might take two steps forward, one step back, two steps forward, one, one step back. And you might see a little bit of improvement, but the process is frustrating. The process is, is fraught with, with failure. Um, maybe that's just me. Okay. I'm just confessing my, my problems to True, I mean, true victory and things like that is, is a work of the Lord, right? I and mean, be not conformed to this world, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Like, it's, it's a work of the Holy Spirit, and it's a work of sanctification. It's not something that you can do on your own. Um, I actually found, just to, I, you know, 
speak from, from personal experience with it. What I've actually found is that um, when, when I've looked at my life, and I know the thing that needs to change the most, and started to work on that in my own power and, and got nowhere with it, and when I finally humbled myself and prayed and let the, God, let the Lord begin working on me, and I went to the Word of God to just see what he convicted me about, the Lord would, would start working on something else first, there was some other thing, and maybe it was, maybe it was a, a, a deeper down root cause, or maybe it was just something else that was a bigger need in my life, but the Lord was actually putting his finger on that one, and he was trying to convict me and, and grow me in that area first. And the other thing that I thought was my, my bigger problem wasn't. I would have, again, I'm just, uh, what does it say in Jeremiah? The, 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 the heart is deceitful and desperately wicked above all things who can know it your your heart is and i'm saying this gently right your heart is so corrupt that you don't even know how corrupt it is and you you don't even know what your biggest problem is and i don't even know what my biggest problem is that's how that's how wicked our hearts are that's how strong and in in um how deceitful and corrupted thoroughly corrupted our flesh is and so to attempt to self-improve or an attempt to do something of spiritual value for the lord but do it through our own power is going to be a a really frustrating experience a, a fruitless endeavor ultimately and yet that's what religion is right it is man trying to please God, man's way. And I'm not say that like everything about every religion out there is just completely misguided, but when we start to add like man's definition to what God wants from us, uh, it becomes very um, depersonalized, right? Um, God is not, if I'm just following religion, I'm following the, maybe, maybe the path that God led someone else through and it worked for them, and they wrote it down one day, and then everybody else just started doing exactly what they did. I'm not saying it was always like intentionally created that way, but it was, it was the way God worked in someone else's life, but that may not be the way that God needs to work in mine. And what God cleaned out of your life first in the process of sanctification is probably very different from what he cleaned out of mine. And, and, and not for the least reason of which we are different people. And, um, and, and what, what's been a part of your life and your experience is very different from what's been part of my life and my experience and, and what I struggle with and what I have uh, a natural taste and, and, and appetites and lusts for probably different than yours and for a lot of reasons, right? And so what works for me is not necessarily what's going to work for you. And, and, and that's why we all have to be walking with the Lord, walking in grace and walking in truth all the time. This, uh, what we're going to talk about here tonight, um, which I believe is really, really connected into this idea of um, this, this, this truth about Christian liberty, is, is the conscience. Um, and, and we're going to turn to a place here in a minute, but um, the conscience, I believe, is, is alluded to really throughout, um, throughout the book of Galatians, and uh, in here, especially in, in this part, but we're going to look at some places where it's specifically named. The, the, the conscience is actually uh, uh, named in, in over 30 times in the Bible. And, uh, and it does refer to a, a sense of moral consciousness or perception, um, uh, your inner sense of, of right and wrong. And I wouldn't say that that's a, a, an inherent sense of right and wrong, but it is certainly a, a, a learned sense of what is right and wrong. And, um, and everyone has a conscience. A conscience is not something that we're, we're given by the Holy Spirit. A conscience is something that we have um, as human beings. Uh, everyone has a conscience. And the conscience is something that the Holy Spirit can use and work in. And the Holy Spirit has an influence with. And I, I believe that um, there is something very important about a, a sanctified conscience. We're going to talk about that here tonight. Your conscience can be sanctified. It needs to be sanctified in order for it to really um, to, to help us in a, in a productive way. But your conscience is not infallible. Um, one of the, the great lies that Disney told us was, let your conscience be your guide. Pinocchio, right? Jiminy Cricket telling Pinocchio, let your conscience be your guide. 
and he didn't have one because he was made out of wood. And so Jiminy Cricket was his conscience, right? But that was a lie. Don't let your conscience be your guide. At, at best, right? At best, your conscience can be a goad, but not your guide, right? It can, it can kind of point you in the right direction um, if your conscience is making you feel kind of uncomfortable about a reason, uh, about something that, that maybe you should pay attention and, um, and, and then in, investigate it and compare it and, and measure it against, um, against Scripture and against truth, your conscience is not there to be an authority in your life. But it is there for a reason. It is there um, to, uh, uh, to uh, uh, cause us to, to, to pay attention a little bit more um, in, in certain situations. Um, we must not fall into a pattern of acting solely based on the conscience. But I believe a well-formed conscience can be an asset in the Christian life. It can be something that the Holy Spirit can work through. Uh, one of the things that, that um, it can help us with. And when it comes to these things, um, uh, matters of Christian liberty, areas of the Christian life where the Bible does not explicitly say do this or do not do this. Um, and that, again, no need for conscience, no need for wisdom, no need for prayer, no need for fasting. You just need obedience in those situations. But that's maybe half the Christian life. And the other half is, is not just clearly spelled out. Um, the other half of the Christian life is our decisions that we have to make um, the best we can by, by applying um, principles and, uh, and, and following the leadership of the Holy Spirit and listening to um, uh, the, the, the proddings of, of our conscience, of our sanctified conscience, um, in order to make a decision that um, will be glorifying to God and that will be beneficial to us and everybody that, that will be affected by the choices that we make. And so, I mean, we're challenged here with that. Uh, if you would look at, at 1 Corinthians chapter 8, um, and this, this is one of the passages that does talk about conscience to um, a very explicit degree and uh, very specifically here. And here he's talking about um, conscience um, as, it, as it relates to uh, false, false, false idols and um, meats that were, you know, food that was offered as, as, as offerings to idols. And um, <clears throat> he was a Baptist preacher, so he was, he was looking for a free meal anywhere he could get it, right? Um, and so uh, there, there was that availability of that in certain places where he would go, they were offering you know, good food to an idol that was never going to eat it, you know, it was fried chicken, you know, or whatever. And so he was, he was, he was like, I don't believe in these idols. And I, it doesn't, me eating, eating that food, it isn't, isn't me worshiping that idol or, or giving it any kind of tribute at all. But, um, but I can't just consider my own, you know, I, I can act according to my own conscience. And, but I also have to consider the conscience of others in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and then 1 Corinthians chapter 10 both kind of deal in that, in that realm there. Um, in in uh, ch chapter 8 verse 1 it says, now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all, uh, we, we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. If any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. But if any man love God, the same is known of him. Concerning, therefore, the, the eating of those things that are offered in sacrifice unto idols, we know that an idol is nothing in the world, and that there is none other God but one. For though there be that are called gods, whether in heaven or in earth, as there be gods many and lords many, but to us there is but one God, the Father, whom all things, and we in him, and one Lord Jesus Christ, by whom are all things, and we by him. Howbeit there is not in every man that knowledge for some with conscience of the idol unto this hour eat it as a thing offered unto an idol and their conscience being weak is defiled but meat commendeth us not to god for neither if we eat are we the better neither if we eat not are we the worse but take heed lest by any means this liberty of yours become a stumbling block to them that are weak for any man see thee which hast knowledge sit at meat in the idol's temple Shall not the conscience of him which is weak be emboldened to eat those things which are offered to idols? And through thy knowledge shall, be weak, shall, thy, uh, shall the weak brother perish for whom Christ died. 
But when ye sin so against um, the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. And so here, he brings, brings conscience and, and liberty here together and, um, and, and, and speaks to the end that, um, that, that uh, for him, uh, he, he, the, the, it wasn't an act of, of, of worship or tribute at all. It was for him, it was, it was a meal, you know. Uh, but if it was something that, that a, a weaker brother in Christ was going to be affected by, he wasn't going to uh, do harm to them. Um, uh, <clears throat> I'm get, uh, just something, I'll, we'll get back to that here in a minute um, in 1 Corinthians. But um, here's we'll, uh, we'll get into the notes here. So your conscience um, first there can be um, a liability and uh, it can be a liability or it can be an asset and that's going to go with this here in the verses we read in, in uh, Galatians 5 um, you can speak there of the fact that um, conscience can be um, can be uh, something that holds us back can be something that's a, that's badly affected he said in the, the previous chapter he said you're you're zealously affected but not well um, and part of that was was in their conscience they were uh, being put upon with these uh, restrictions and, and, and um, lies that were causing them to have a conscience towards something that wasn't, wasn't correct. And so they were um, being hindered by that. He said, you did run well. Who did hinder you that you should not obey the truth? The word hinder um, is, is an interesting word. I mean, it means what, what you think it means, but it, it means something um, maybe a little bit more than that. Maybe it's a little bit stronger than the way we think. It says something hindered me. Um, you just, it, it was in your way. It was an inconvenience. In this sense of, of the way it's being used, it's more than just something that was an obstacle. It's more than something that was just an inconvenience or an impediment. This is actually an attack. Um, it, it literally means to be turned back by, by attack. Someone was literally throwing blows at you, and so you ran away from someone who was essentially attacking you. That's the kind of sense that's given in this, this word hinder when he uses it. He, he said, you did run well, but someone um, attacked you to a point where you turned away from the truth. And uh, when their faith was attacked, it caused them to turn away from the faith and turn uh, toward back to, to old ways or to turn back to false religion. Um, the arguments um, that were being made for uh, the, this this legalism by the by the Judaizers adding works into into grace and into um, uh, into their faith that that appealed to their their natural minds and their consciences um, again it would it would make sense that um, that 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 faith would have that their faith their belief system would have uh, a more rigid structure to it um, and uh, and so again, they were responding naturally, right? It was, it was a natural response um, to a lot of, of questions they didn't have answered. It was a natural response to some insecurities that they, they had about what they believed. There was a lot of things they still didn't know. They were still relatively young in the faith, and they didn't have the answers. And because they didn't have the answers, they, they believed someone who was, um, seemed to have some answers. And so they were responding um, naturally to you know, strong natural arguments. Um, then he says there in verse 8, he says, This persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. And again, uh, persuasion, of course, is um, to be convinced or to have a, that, that condition of mind of, 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 of strong feelings and, and beliefs there. But he said that this persuasion cometh not of him that calleth you. And so this was not something that was led of the Spirit. Uh, they were not convinced of these truths by the Holy Spirit speaking to their hearts. They were convinced in their, their minds by other people. And um, the, <clears throat> I guess it's in Acts 17 or 18, uh, the, the, uh, the, the believers that were considered to be more noble than others were the ones who heard Paul out, um, listened to his message, and, and paid attention to what he was having to say, but then they went back to the scriptures themselves and they searched those things out whether they were so. And let the, let the Holy Spirit confirm those truths in their hearts. And this is not what the Galatians did. The, the Galatians 
um, let themselves be convinced and ultimately deceived by um, the, uh, the, the, uh, the words of, of men without the confirmation of the Holy Spirit and without the confirmation of the scriptures. And he says then, then verse 9, a little leaven leaveneth the whole lump. Um, this is an expression that, that um, Apostle Paul likes. He uses it on several occasions. Uh, the leaven in the Bible is, is, is a symbol of what? Sin, yeah. Sin, corruption, flesh. Um, and a little leaven leaven the whole lump that, as an expression. Um, think about what, what that's saying. Uh, essentially, what is, what is the thought there? Right. Yeah, it doesn't take very much. It doesn't take very much uh, falsehood or sin or corruption or whatever um, by volume. It doesn't take very much at all um, uh, to, to affect the entire thing, right? And so um, here specifically he's talking about um, the, the, the false doctrine, right? Um, Jesus condemned the leaven of the Pharisees and what he was, they were like, ah, it's because we forgot to bring bread. And he's like, come on, guys, wake up. Um, I'm talking about the the doctrine of the Pharisees, right? And so he's talking about false doctrine. You think about, I don't know much about baking, but some of you do. Some of you do. You know a little bit about baking. But I'm given to understand that by by volume in, in in a recipe for, you know, a loaf of bread, that by volume, the, the yeast, the, leaven, the leavening agent that you put into it is a small percentage of the ingredients that you put into um, a, a, the recipe, right? Am I, am I correct in that statement? I, I think I am. Um, by volume, it's relatively very little. Um, but introduced into the, 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 the mixture there, introduced into the dough, the whole thing is affected by that. And, um, and he's challenging him here. He's like, hey, yes, in a very, very practical sense, just a, a little bit of sin can cause big problems. But here specifically, uh, just a tiny bit of false belief, a tiny bit of false doctrine is going to essentially shake the foundation of all of your beliefs, all, all of your, your doctrinal position. Um, it's, it's important to maintain um, doctrinal purity throughout. Um, and uh, it takes just a very little bit uh, to, to introduce corruption into, um, into all, of our, all of our belief system, especially something so foundational as salvation. If, uh, if your doctrine of salvation is, is, is shaken and, and worse, even changed or destroyed, and that, that affects uh, really <laughs> most everything else you believe, Right. Um, and, and, and how you practice and, and, and then what, what spurs out from there. The, the, uh, the, the, the Christian denomination, the Christian religions, um, and all the, the variety of them out there um, at, this, at this point in history um, usually goes back to one little difference from this to that to this to that, one little difference is where it started in, in exactly how they believed a person got saved or what salvation meant. And then all of the rest of their, their, their doctrine, their practice, um, and whatever was, was built up on top of meeting that one, that one distinction they had in what they believed salvation looked like. And that's exactly what he's saying. If you, if you start to introduce, um, any kind of, of corruption into a doctrine as important as salvation is going to affect everything that you believe. And that's exactly what was happening. And uh, so they, they were hindered by their conscience, and then ultimately they were corrupted in that. And that's um, uh, going forward from there in, in, in verse 10. He says, I have confidence in you through the Lord that you will be none otherwise minded, but he that troubleth you shall bear his judgment, whosoever he be. And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. I would they were even cut off from you. Um, again, they, they had been convinced that, that the one telling them the truth was their enemy. And the question he asked them in um, uh, chapter 3 or chapter 4 was, am I become your enemy because I tell you the truth? And they'd been convinced that the one who was telling them the truth was actually their enemy and so, again, Paul kind of brings this up that 
He just he he wants them to be right with the Lord. He wants them to um, see victory in, in Christ and to be none otherwise minded, but to have essentially saying have 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 right beliefs that that are, are beneficial to them and, and and strengthening to the church. Um, and he says, and if and if I'm the one that's if I'm the one that's wrong, then why am I the one being persecuted? As he mentioned there at the end of chapter four, it was the son of the bondwoman that persecuted the son of the free woman. It was Ishmael that persecuted Isaac. It was Esau that persecuted Jacob, right? Those are the ones who were, uh, by, the, by the allegory, by the picture, the ones that were causing the problems. It's, it's, never, the one who is, it's never the one who is right who is, is, is persecuting the one who is wrong. It's the one who is wrong who has persecuted the one who is right. He says, so if I'm the one that's wrong, or if I'm the one who's preaching a false doctrine, then why am I the one who is being uh, abused and persecuted and oppressed? And so their uh, conscience, uh, uh, <clears throat> uh, their conscience confirmed this belief because their consciences had been defi- defiled by false teaching. They 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 were uh, they've been convinced of a false doctrine, and now they've they've been even um, uh, corrupted against the one who who cared most about them. Um, again, to say the conscience is not infallible; it's absolutely fallible. It's absolutely um, uh, capable of being uh, 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 influenced badly, being zealously affected, but not well, and that's exactly what happened. That's why we can't. That's why we can't look to our conscience as authoritative. That's why we can't just solely trust our gut, right? Now, I, I, I we'll talk about it here in a minute because we're going to see how your 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 conscience can be an asset, something that the Holy Spirit uses. I think that if you have a a, a, a well-formed, sanctified um, Christian conscience that there's a lot to a Christian trusting their gut in a situation because the Holy Spirit is able to kind of poke your conscience and your conscience is able to poke your mind and you're, 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 uh, you're able to, to at least slow down and stop and think about a, a situation. But, um, but for the vast majority of people, the lost and otherwise, your gut is not an authority. And it shouldn't be, because conscience can be corrupted. Your conscience can be defiled. Your conscience can be seared. Um, a lot of things that the Bible says, but conscience, we don't have time to get all, all of the, the 30 times it's referenced in the New Testament. But um, many things it says about the conscience, and, and several of them talk about how the conscience shouldn't be your, 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 soul, your soul guide in life, because your conscience can be affected in the wrong way. Now, your conscience can be an asset. Um, in verse uh, 13, 13, 14, 15, and we'll close out here tonight with these three. It says, For brethren, you've been called unto liberty. Only use not liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another for all the laws fulfilled in one word, even in this, that thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. But if ye bite and devour one another, take heed that ye be not consumed one of another, and so uh, we're called to liberty. Um, uh, our, our, our conscience is to be a, a, a sanctified conscience. Part of that sancti- sanctifying process of the Holy Spirit uh, is a work that He does um, in our conscience. We're called to liberty, meaning that the way we live out our faith is not to just be purely regimented and, and uniform, and and uh, we're just following, uh, you know, a a, a a program with with steps and levels and um, and badges that we earn, and, you know, um, think, just following the exact same path as the person in front of us. Uh, it is it is the Christian life is is a personal relationship. There's going to be some personalized aspects to it. Again, the way the Lord is going to work in my life is going to be different than the way that He works in in anyone else's. And there are many aspects in life in which you will have to make your own choice. And you'll have to make a choice for yourself. And you'll have to set um, your own standard, your own boundary. You're going to have to establish your own patterns and, and your own routines. I'm, 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 I think it would be a wonderful thing for you to have a, a pattern and a routine in your life of, of, of how you read your Bible and, and, and how and when you pray. But it should be yours. And you can, you can learn from others and you can get advice and you can share ideas, but you need to find something that, that, 
allows for you to get something out of your Bible reading, allows for you to um, see answers to prayer in your life, something that allows for you to be effective in your Christian life. And it might look very similar to somebody else's, but it needs to be needs to be something that you settle into because it is your relationship with God. And there's areas of, in the Christian life where you're going to have to make those decisions for yourself. Back in, in 1 Corinthians, if, and if, if you, you can't get there, um, don't worry about it, but in chapter 10, um, he says in verse 23, um, 1 Corinthians 10, 23, says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not expedient. All things are lawful for me. All things edify not. Let no man seek his own, but every man another's wealth. Whatsoever sold in the shambles that eat, asking no questions for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. And if any of them that believe not bid you to do a feast, and ye be disposed to go, whatsoever set before you eat, asking no question for conscience sake. But if any man say unto you, this is offered in sacrifice unto idols, eat not for his sake that showed it and for conscience sake. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Conscience, I say, not thine own, but uh, of the other. For why is my liberty judged of another man's conscience? For if I by grace be a partaker, why am I evil spoken of? For that for which I give thanks, whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do it all to the glory of God. Give none offense, neither to the Jews, nor to the Gentiles, nor to the church of God, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking mine own profit, but the profit of many that they may be saved. And this is a really, really important um, passage when it comes to an understanding of, of walking in liberty. Because he, he starts by saying, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not uh, expedient. And what does expedient mean? What? Necessary, okay? Uh, it means necessary. And I, 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 helpful, uh, beneficial, right? But, 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 but required even. Um, so expediency is, is something that, that must be done or that should be done or is, is, it, um, is required to be done. This is all things are was. I, I can eat meat offered to an idol, but I don't have to. And, and so then what are we talking about now? We're saying I can, but I don't have to. Now we're talking about a decision you have to make um, based in Christian liberty and, and in consideration for what two things, the glory of God and the, your testimony before others. And that's what that passage is. is I, can, I, I can do it, and I'm not going to go to hell for it. So then what question must I ask? Is this going to glorify God? If I, can, if, if, if I don't know what it was, you know, if I don't know what it was offered to, and, and, I, and I just thank the real God for it, then God can be glorified in that. But if the guy who puts it in front of me says, hey, this was offered to an idol, now I know that this is not something that, um, that they're thanking God for. They're thanking little g gods for and offering to little g gods, and, and I, I'm not going to participate in that. And not just for my own sake, not for my own conscience. All things are lawful, but for theirs. Because I don't want them to think that I'm a polytheist, you know, that's this Paul. I don't want to think that I worship Athena or Zeus or any of the rest of them. Um, I'm going to say, no, I, I believe in Jesus Christ and I don't participate in idolatry. And it's for them, even more so than it is for us. And, and verse 33 is so important, this is that uh, I, even as I please all men in all things. So he says, I, at first I'm, I'm seeking to please the Lord and bring glory to God, but then I also have a consideration for um, whether or not these things, how these things affect others. And most people who, uh, most Christians who like to talk about their Christian liberty, um, they like verse 23, right? But they don't necessarily care about verse 33 in that passage. And they, they, they don't like to, to consider, they like, they like Galatians 5.1, but they don't really care for Galatians 5.13. And I stand fast in the liberty wherewith Christ has made me free. So I can, all things are lawful for me. But both passages go back to, but I, even as I please all men in all things, not seeking my own profit, but the profit of many, they might be saved. Verse, uh, Galatians 5.13, Brethren, you've not been, you have been called to liberty, only use not that liberty for an occasion to the flesh. And Christ didn't 
give us liberty so that we could do as we will. He didn't give you liberty and, and, and take away the condemnation of sin so that you could just fulfill all of the lust of the flesh uh, and do whatever you want. He did it so that you um, could live and walk in grace and in truth and have a real relationship with him whereby in, in every situation, you're, you're, uh, every decision that you make, you're, you're, you're seeking the Lord's will. It, again, if, if, if God spelled out everything we were supposed to do as Christians and addressed every single challenge we're going to face spiritually, we'd never need to pray. We'd never need to ask for wisdom. We would just have to read it and either obey it or disobey it. But actually to walk in liberty requires that you pray without ceasing. It requires, demands that we have an, an ongoing and a, a consistent relationship with Christ. So we must consider your testimony witness before others um, and not allow your, uh, don't, don't harm your witness before the lost with your allowances in, wit, in, in liberty and, uh, and don't, do not confuse um, or hinder younger, weaker, weaker Christians um, by the allowances that you make. So we're to, um, I think I sanctified conscience, and I meant to give you that one, a clear conscience, a clear conscience. Um, uh, use, use your liberty to be a servant to others. Uh, grace is not permission to do what I want to do, but the enabling to do what I ought to do. It was Lord Acton or somebody who, who said something to that effect, um, speaking more about like civil liberties and all that. But he was saying that, um, that freedom, liberty, the true essence of liberty is that not to do what you want to do, but to do what you ought to do, uh, to, to meet your responsibilities. And I, I really think that's, that's pretty accurate. What, what grace is is not you can do what you want to do and, and please your flesh, but now you have the ability, you're enabled by the Holy Spirit to do what you should, what you ought to. And, and that's, that's the real essence of, of walking in Christian liberty. Um, and uh, <clears throat> it's, a, it's a challenging thought, but, but how, you know, to think about it, but how is your conscience? Um, is, it, is it a sanctified conscience? Is it a clear conscience? Um, is it one that the Holy Spirit is, is actively working in and, and changing and, and using to, to prod you toward um, doing the right thing? And doing the, the 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 faithful thing and the humble thing and the, the serviceable thing, um, it, it ought to be. Um, and we're going to go ahead and close with that. Um, but uh, your 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 conscience can be an asset to your Christian life, and it should be as we walk in liberty. Let's